Untold Stories is an annual conference started in 2019 by Startup Europe Networks and Startup Hungary. We believe founder stories are powerful, and we pride ourselves on having real, no BS conversations to inspire and educate our community. Building off of our offline events, we developed this podcast with TechCamp Global to bring you untold stories from some of the best founders in the region year-round. In each episode, we try to uncover the details and hands-on tactics behind the founders' successes so you can benefit from their years of experience and lessons learned. Our hope is you will make fewer mistakes and find new ways to accelerate your growth. My name is Mary Alcantara, and this is the Untold Stories podcast. Let's dive in. Barnabas Biermacher is the CEO and co-founder of Bitrise. Bitrise is a mobile DevOps platform that empowers app developers to automate processes and get rid of obstacles so that they can focus on creating something extraordinary and not get bogged down in the mundane details. We got the chance to sit down with Barnabash. In this episode, we're going to dive deep into Bitrise's untold stories, their feedback-first company culture, experiences from participating in two different Y Combinator programs, and how they transitioned to a remote-first company and continue to attract top talent from around the world. Barnabash, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So in this series, we like to explore kind of the human side of entrepreneurship. What made you want to become an entrepreneur in the first place? What can you tell us about your journey? So that's actually interesting because when I was a kid, I knew from the start that I want to have my own company. I want to do uh, my own stuff. At that time, that was actually a game company. I really wanted to do games. Uh, I read the Doom book. Uh, <laughs> I know how to, what type of company I really would like to build. Uh, and after that, I met my CTO during high school and we started working together we built out uh, 3D game engines. We created our own Wolf Einstein 3, uh, 3D clone. Uh, and after that, during university, we went into mobile development. And there, uh, I started working at a company. I learned how to really code uh, professionally, how to work with companies, how to do project management. And after that, it simply just started building up. So you have a long history of starting your own businesses and building things based on ideas that you've had. So in programming, I believe the, the, the best thing about this is you can imagine anything and after that you can build it for yourself. And that's kind of the thing that I uh, fall in love with. And after that, all the other stuff just started uh, coming out of it. So when we, when we started working together and we created uh, our own company, it was obvious that Victor is actually doing better coding than me, uh, but he didn't really want to do any business uh, side of the story. So I became the CEO. And the same thing happened at Bitrise as well. So it's kind of just evolved that way. So let's talk about Bitrise. So Bitrise was developed to solve problems that you had experienced yourself uh -huh. while running your agency, which was called Bitfall. Exactly. Right? So what's the, uh, what's the origin story? Uh, so, so for the agency, uh, we just wanted to actually start earning money. Mm -hmm. uh, we knew that we can create good iOS apps, and we started creating our own agency. We started working on the U.S. side, uh, mostly iPad apps, 3D, uh, 3D stuff, and 
basically we had a time when, when when one of the clients wanted to have seven build flavors from the same application which basically means that you have a white label app and you have to rebuild the same thing with different uh, colors pictures so different assets uh, so it happened in a way that i sat down i started the build waited 30 minutes went out grabbed a bunch of coffees came back after 30 minutes uh, built or uh, get the ipa zipped it together and sent it out to the client while i restarted the whole process now the whole thing actually screwed up my whole day so what we did in the next day uh, i sat down i created uh, an automatic script that basically automated the whole process and from there uh, everybody who was working for us started basically uh, adding more and more uh, interesting thing uh, into the whole thing. It is actually more interesting to work on something that's our own mm-hmm. instead of something that's uh, somebody else's idea. We showed it to a bunch of customers that they loved it. And one of them put us up to product hunt. And from there, the user started rolling in. And that was the time when we created the, uh, the new company. We realized that, okay, this is something big, something cool. We really have to start working on it. How was it to transition from running the agency to working on BitRise full-time? How, how fast did that whole thing happen? So I was kind of running the two things at the same time. Uh, the reason was that we had to fund uh, the first couple of months just to make sure that we have enough revenue for the salaries. Uh, so you had to make sure that you're rolling out all the all the projects. While on the other hand, you had to close uh, around to make sure you have enough money and you have to start building the, the whole thing. So it was actually interesting, but that's kind of what I love about the whole thing. You can do whatever you really want. Uh, you really have your own time and you're actually working on, on the things that interest you. And in this case, uh, so I, I had this question a couple of months ago in the company, like what I'm doing in my free time. And in my free time, I'm kind of working. Uh, but the reason for this is this is kind of my hobby as well. Therefore, of course, you're doing eight hours of work. But after that, you start uh, spending time on your hobbies, which for me is exactly the same thing. And what are you spending your your hobby time on with Bitrise? Are you still tinkering and coming up with features and playing with the... We have a lot of amazing people, so they come up with all the ideas. We are, now my job is more like to help them with the vision, with the strategy, what is the direction we're going forward, hiring all of this. Uh, I still have, sadly, a bunch of operational stuff. <laughs> uh, but currently, the hobby time is mostly just to catch up with everything and if I have time to actually think about the strategy. So Bitrise is for mobile app developers. Yes. What is who's your ideal customer? Ideal customer wise, basically anybody who has a mobile application. So the customers that we really can help is mobile first customers. Mm-hmm. Basically, this means that they have a mobile application, uh, they get the revenue or something uh, coming in from that mobile app, and they're heavily investing into this. So Bitrise is a CI/CD service. We are mobile first for mobile developers. But this also means that as we started evolving and moving into new uh, places, we actually switched from mobile to application development. Mm. Uh, the only reason is now mobile uh, mobile applications are basically the first place where companies are targeting customers. But now this mobile app is actually arriving to desktops and the website as well. So we want to uh, help everybody in this this space. And the other side is we are not just helping now the mobile developers. We would like to make sure that we're supporting everybody working on the mobile apps. So it can be the engineering managers, product managers, VPs, C-levels, anybody who basically 
their job is to make sure that the teams are high performant, they're working on the right stuff with the right speed, and Bitrise is basically the place to help them to figure this out. Whatever they need. So Exactly. Yeah, okay. And what's the geographic distribution of your customer base? So we started with U.S., Uh, First, now we have U.S., Europe, and interestingly, uh, Japan was our second or third Mm -hmm. biggest uh, market like uh, till one year ago. After that, we started actually direct sales. Uh, All Axe VP sales joined like one one year ago, and Europe and U.S. started scaling up. But till this point, Japan is is fully organic. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we're not doing any sales whatsoever on that side. So the goal now is actually to move there as well. Uh, open up an office in Japan, make sure that we're hiring AEs, SEs, uh, so account executives, uh, sales uh, engineers, and after that start supporting it with support uh, mm-hmm. and start giving the best mobile or application solution for companies there as well, or enterprise companies there as well. Why do you think you got such um, pickup in Japan? It's a really great question. Uh, we don't really know. I don't I don't really know, to be honest, uh, but it seems that uh, the product, how it's working, how it's looking, uh, the UX, the feeling is actually really going well uh, with them and they're extremely loving it. One interesting side is uh, we can actually create a map, like how we uh, went from building to building in Tokyo. And the reason is when one engineer moved from one job to the other, they actually uh, moved Bitrise with themselves. They brought you with them. Yeah. Exactly. So so we can simply just map out this nice uh, green map and see how the whole thing actually scaled. So maybe it was a handful of people that just happened to spread to a bunch of different exactly, companies. Exactly. So, so this is how we how we scaled from the beginning as well. Uh, developers loved, uh, loved us. They talked about us. Uh, they t- uh, showed this to their friends, they tried it out to the pet project, and after that it just started scaling inside the company as well. Was it more agencies or kind of companies that are building app, like their own app in the beginning, or how does that split work, look both. today? Both. I would say both. So agencies really like this, but the problem with that is it's going to be on and off constantly. Mm. So whenever a new client comes in, they start using Bitrise, the project is ended, and they simply just move it to another one. With the mobile first companies whose uh, main purpose they're building their mobile application, uh, now you can see actually the pretty big scale happening on that side because they realize that the speed matters. So the faster that you can roll through uh, Bitrise and get back the feedback to the developers will mean that they can code more, they can create more value. And that's basically what they actually love to invest in, whatever the money is. Hmm. Yeah, I would imagine it's slightly different value propositions for each of those segments. Yes, 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 exactly. And so you feel like this, the mobile first companies is more your stronger segment? We have the mobile first companies. And after that, we we have companies who has their mobile applications, but they're not really investing in there. Our job there is to educate them. And we have the mobile laggers uh, who are still just figuring out how the whole thing is going. So, so. In one side, we have to support the whole thing and make sure we are giving the best. And on the other side, we have to make sure that Bitrise is the best place to learn about this, to find a community, and to to figure out how to do the best job for your team. Hmm. And so you said you started targeting the U.S. That was intentional. That was where you launched and... I wouldn't say that was intentional. We started having customers there and we started okay. having a lot of customers there. And after <laughs> that, we just we just started scaling there. Uh, to be honest, at the beginning, when you're starting a startup, I believe a lot of part of it is luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, a lot of hard work and everything. But 
figuring out the PMF, talking to the customer, finding out the right things. And you just have to realize like what's happening and just have to jump on it, iterate through that way and then and, and use it that way. So let's talk about Y Combinator. Mm-hmm. I think you guys are still one of the only Hungarian companies. As far as I know, that's, who's gone that's true. Through. Yeah. And you did you did the, the main the main program in 2017. Exactly. And then you were also invited to do the growth program in 2019. That's just for founders. Yes, exactly. Obviously, the impact of Y Combinator is huge. But yeah, what can you tell us about how it was to participate in those programs and what's what's the impact that you're still feeling today? So so YC was great because uh, in, on one side, getting into Y Combinator and working next to amazingly talented people is just extremely helps you move forward. You have the, the people with the same thinking, uh, with the same mind. And additionally, not just that, but you get uh, all the experience from uh, the YC partners. So when we got into the whole thing, we had a pretty good idea about what we really want to build out. Uh, this is a CI/CD service. This is how we're going to scale the whole stuff. Uh, we told the whole story like, okay, we know that this is the best thing that we can build, and we got in. So we were mm-hmm. pretty. It was pretty obvious that we did a pretty nice uh, pitch there. Now at the end, first turned, try. No, third try. <laughs> and now at the end, it turned it turned out that they did not get us into because of that pitch. They just really lied the team how we're doing and they, build, they, they they see the product how it's scaling mm-hmm. and they seem to just bet it on us uh, now the first event that we went in uh, they actually we pitched the whole idea again they told us that this is an extremely shitty idea <laughs> uh, so thanks for that uh, but we we talked about something else so so let's just go back there and think about that so we went back uh, with Daniel we grabbed a bunch of beers we thought through the whole weekend and came back with uh, with at that time the marketplace idea and they really liked it and we started executing toward this but now this went into the end-to-end platform play which basically means that we are moving away from just being a CI/CD service that's that's a point solution helping developers to build faster with better quality and deploy to the app store but what we really would like to build out and that's what Y Combinator was extremely helpful with to understand this vision is to support the full DevOps life cycle so you have all of these point solutions and we're creating a platform that involves all of this and helps companies to actually depending on the maturity size of your your team or application use the right solutions and after that connect it together so you have an observability uh, data observability at the end so anybody working on the mobile apps can understand whether you're fast enough whether you're doing the right thing how you're benchmarking with other companies mm. so all of these different things in one specific place what is CI/CD? CI/CD is continuous integration, uh, continuous delivery. Basically, it means that uh, your the product is helping you to write better code uh, constantly. Whatever you're adding in, test uh, the code. Whether you're, you did anything wrong, and after that, automatically deploy to the testers, to the app store. So automate this whole process, and developers can get back the feedback as fast as possible, so they can go back coding and making sure the quality is there. So you put together kind of a concept for this marketplace idea and started executing on that. And then yes. how did you pivot back to kind of what your what the core of BitRise is today? Oh, so, so this is kind of what we are not, uh, doing now. So mm. the whole team is working on it. Uh, we're executing on one side the CICD side and on the other side we're executing on the platform side and we're constantly moving it more and more closer to the platform. Uh, but 
To give one example, we actually acquired a company back at 2019 uh, called Outlier. They were doing infrastructure monitoring, and now this team is actually working on uh, application monitoring crash analytics. So and it, after you deploy to the App Store, customers can download the code, we install the SDK, and from there we can see like, okay, how is the performance happening? What is slow? What is fast? If the application crashed, we can tell you where it did happen. And you can again see this in one place, and from there we can move it back to the feedback to, to the team so they can understand what is the next thing they would like to work on. So kind of like debugging on crack. Or <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So coming back, I guess, to, to Y Combinator, mm -hmm. You know, I think everybody knows who knows about these programs knows that it's a three months of super intense growth and you're just kind of in, you know, the pressure cooker, right? Mm -hmm. You're every week you're shipping, you know, you, you, there's extreme pressure to deliver. But that's the good part. So the yeah. extreme pressure will mean that you're executing fast. What, what everybody needs to learn there is you don't really have a lot of time, mm -hmm. but on the other hand, you have to show a huge impact, which is also good as you're scaling the company, you have to learn the same thing. Now, you have the idea, but when they're investing most of the time, that idea won't stick. You're going to pivot for something else. Right. And the reason is, as you're talking to your customers and you have to learn to talk to your customers, you're going to get back the feedback. And your first idea most of the time is just shit. <laughs> it's just not working. So as you start talking with the customers, you learn about what they really need. Okay, I like this part. I don't like those. But if you, if, if you do more of this, I'm going to start paying. So you start pivoting. You start iterating. You start adding more and more of this. You constantly go back to all to the customers. So you do this for the, next, uh, for the first couple of months. And after that, you start jumping into, okay, who is going to buy this? Who is going to pay for this? And as soon as you validated this, I, I do believe that anybody who wants to go through anything like this, they have the first thing is find customers who love the product and start paying for you because that's the best validation. Mm -hmm. Nobody really cares what is the amount of money. The only question is whether they sent you some <laughs> because this means that, okay, you're on the right track. Uh, and after that, you have the demo day, you show all the impact and you try to, to actually land uh, an investment to make sure that you can keep on pushing forward. And did you land an investment at the demo uh, we, day? We actually not at the demo day because we started talking with uh, our Serie A investor uh, before uh, the demo day. So Daniel went out uh at that time to do the pitch while i was in the background talking with the lawyers to close the whole deal <laughs> i want to come back to your fundraising path mm -hmm. in a little bit how would you compare i guess the two programs because i don't know as much about the the growth program mm -hmm. from my combinator but is it similar in structure or it's to more totally different. totally different so so the growth program is only for the ceos and it kind of helps us to learn how to scale uh, your company to the hundreds or thousands and the really good part of this is they created evenings where you can every week go in and meet with really great CEOs, uh, learn how they scaled in the valley, learn how they built out the whole company, learn their mistakes. You can totally openly talk about the whole thing because everything is confidential, of course. And basically through their mistakes, through their uh, learnings, ideas, you can put together like, okay, what did really work well? Uh, at this stage, uh, as a scale-up, to be honest, you kind of have a playbook. You really need to build out the culture. You have to make sure the feedback culture is happening there. You have to make sure you have a good recruitment. You have really great 
people for helping you to scale the talent side. You have to hire engineers. You have to build out the different teams, hire the VPs. So it's kind of, of course, everybody is doing differently, but the steps that you need to take are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And you, the YC actually realized this, that, okay, if I'm helping companies at that stage, this will mean that we can move more companies into a unicorn stage, which, of course, good for everybody. I see. Okay, that makes a lot of sense because that program is free, right? So they don't. That, that program is totally free. So the YC, uh, the normal YC program, with that you get an investment. Yeah. And with that, they're receiving a small part of your company. Uh, and in this side, it's totally free uh, and they don't really ask for anything. Because it's mostly for previous YC founders, right? Yeah, so, so you can get in as a non-YC company, uh, but I would say it's mostly just YC companies. There. Yeah, so that makes sense. So that's kind of their way of helping Scaling. their companies get exactly. to the next level. Yeah, cool. Which one would you say had a bigger impact hmm. for you? I would say both because you have to go through the first to get to the second wow. one. Yeah. Uh, the first one was actually had a great impact to figure out, uh, actually to get the... The culture, how the valleys are working, how, how the thinking is happening on that side, plus helping to move, helping us to move through this uh, this vision shift. And the second one was actually crucial to actually move into the scale up mode. Without that, it would be way, way, way harder to figure out. Okay, what are the different things that you need to build out? It was really good to actually hear how others screwed up the whole thing, so we can learn from from those mistakes. And you were there physically for both yeah, yeah. of them. So, so if you get into the program, just go there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's doing this through Zoom. It wouldn't give you the, the exact same impact. You won't be able to do the bonding with the others. And that's the other one. You're meeting a lot of amazing people. And I'm still catching up with the founders from that batch. And this actually helps uh, a lot to to find like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wanted to ask about that. I mean, how, how many of your fellow alums are you still in touch with, you talk to? I would say three, four people. Uh, so, of course, you don't talk with everybody, but you have an alumni, uh, you have a forum, you can reach out to anybody, but uh, the ones that you really are close to are kind of like friends. Mm-hmm. Have you been involved at all with any subsequent batches, or do you get to know the new companies that come in after you? Or? You can uh, i also get a bunch of emails requests like can you please go through the whole thing and we're totally happy to do this mm-hmm. uh we're totally happy to give some advice help them prep for the interview but basically at the end it's actually up to them to show that they know everything and they, they know how to execute on it so you talked about one of the big values of this growth program is mm-hmm. kind of getting their playbook about how do you scale and how do you hire and you know going through that process Walk us through that, because that was, I guess, a big part of you know your activities. Um, uh, so, so I can't really do that to be honest, because that's a <laughs> that's a lot of lot of time. So, first of all, getting to YC goes through the whole thing. But basically, uh, I would say the thing that you need to learn at that st- at that time is how to hire the right people. First of all, you have to figure. You have to make sure you you know your culture. It's uh, you talk about your culture. Everybody in the company knows the values why you're there. And after that, you have to realize that, uh, okay, when I'm hiring people, I'm trying to hire culture fit, but also look for culture ad, look for mm-hmm. diversity, make sure that you're involving more and more talented people with, with a different type of mindset, because this can help you scale. Uh, the best companies actually have a huge diverse community around them. And the next thing is to create an efficient uh, hiring method 
through the whole thing, make sure that you, as you scale, as you get the new fund, uh, you have basically all the resources to support this because you need to move quick. When did you get or do you have an HR manager or how does that hiring process look well, we, like? We went through a multiple loops. So at that time we had somebody in recruitment. After that, we started scaling the recruitment team. We had somebody in HR. We started scaling up the HR team. And now we have uh, Vicky, the VP people managing the whole thing. And now uh, it's not just about hiring. So uh, HR is actually a crucial part of this. To make sure that you have an efficient and effective team, you have to make sure that everybody there can work effectively. You have to make sure that you're supporting each other. Uh, so not just coming in uh, and work on your stuff, but you help the other person to scale. Uh, and for that, what we started implementing is feedback culture, mm-hmm. which basically, so feedback culture for most of the companies mean that you have a yearly cadence. Uh, everybody tells right. in an anonymous way, like what the heck is happening. And after that, everybody goes home here. What it means, we want to have a constant feedback happening. So every day you're receiving feedback. What did you do uh, good? And what are the different things that you can improve? Uh, and we have to learn to say how to do this the best way and you have to uh, also learn how to listen to the whole thing and how to act on it and we have to constantly train everybody because if you have this one and the next that if you have an iterative mindset it means that you're constantly day by day learning you constantly hear okay these are the things that i need to be doing more because that was good these are the things that actually did not help us to scale so i have to change those and after that i'm going to iterate through the whole thing and then more and more of this and through that everybody can be better every day yeah i want to come back to this because this Mm -hmm. is a big topic that we're going to go deeper on with you guys especially um but just i had a couple more questions about your hiring so because i think you know for a startup HR, that that function is typically overlooked until it's almost too late or, you know, it becomes to be, you know, an issue. But once you get to, I don't know, what's the magic number? I mean, how how many people did you guys have when you hired the VP of people? Oh, VP people. I would say 120, 130, but that was already extremely late. Uh, We hired the first HR people around, I would say, Mm 70-ish. Again, wow. that was even late. that. Yeah, that seemed. I mean, I feel like it's it's, it's kind it's of really around early. fifteen or twenty is when you start to feel like okay, we need somebody to manage mm-hmm. these issues. In my experience, but that's for well, most of the companies. I, I still believe it, it's maybe a bit too early, but I would be hiring next time, like way, way, way earlier. Mm-hmm. And the reason is for most companies, HR is mostly about uh, firing to mm-hmm. make sure that you have the best place uh, to fire people. What we start build out with HR is more like talent, how to scale the people, how to help them, how to do business partnering. So HR is basically the best place to scale your culture, scale your people, help them to figure out what is the best way moving forward. Because as you're scaling, as you're adding more and more people, more and more managers, you have to make sure the culture is right. You have to make sure everybody understands the strategy. Everybody knows about the goals, how to scale it forward. If they have any issues, identify similar ones, figure out the programs for that. So it, it is a lot of, lot of work. Yeah. Hire slow, fire fast. Do you subscribe to this? Hire the right one and try not to fire uh, <laughs> the person. But if you can, you, if you need to, you, you have to fire fast. So this is why you need to have a good or great recruitment process. And it's not just finding the people and hiring it as soon as possible. You have to have great hiring managers. You have to know 
what are the weaknesses of your team? What are the strengths? What you actually really would like to hire to? Uh, right, and defining that, what you're looking for exactly. very well. And yeah. after to go through the process, but make sure that process is not too long. So you just involve the right amount of people and do a great onboarding. So you just spend a huge amount of time and money on finding the person. So after that, when, when they arrive and you don't give a good onboarding, you're going to just lose them. So make sure that you can onboard the person a couple of months. Uh, and after that, the, the manager needs to be working with them constantly. Uh, now it's going to the right direction. That's great. But if you identify there's problems, you have to make sure that you're talking with the people, uh, with the person. You have to make sure you're giving feedback. You're constantly working on the right stuff. And even if it's not working, you need to fire fast because it's good for actually both of the parties. If somebody is there and not liking to be there, that's an extremely shitty situation. And same thing for the team. So to support is what we really want to build out is ownership. Uh, we want to build out for the teams that they understand what is the vision and they're goal oriented. They have to get there as soon as possible. So if somebody is in the team is not supporting it, uh, the team has to speak up and help us to figure out these issues. I have one more question about mm -hmm. the hiring and then let's dive into the feedback first culture because I think that's super interesting. So, okay, so when you did YC growth, mm -hmm. how many people did you have at that time? I would say 40, Okay, north of 40. And after that is when you started making some of these first big hires. Yes. Who was the first person that you brought in? The first person was the CFO. That was actually prior to the Serie B round or prior to YC growth. And after that, the next person, we had the VP engineering there. And the next person, I have zero clue. <laughs> and Alex, when did you bring? Alex, uh, Alex and Katie came uh, a year ago. We, we, one year, one and a half year ago, Alex is VP sales and uh, Katie was uh, is VP success. And the third person that we hired is actually Rick, uh, VP uh, marketing back uh, at the, around the growth program. And these are all amazing top tier people that you kind of recruited for their So positions. they're listening. So of course, yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, second of all, so you when, when you're hiring executives, you have to understand that you as the CEO or the founder, you simply just don't have the right answers. You have way better, way more talented people outside. So you have to find them and move them in. Same thing with when you're recruiting somebody else. And what you're looking for here is to make sure that you find the right talent with the right experience that can help you to scale to the next level where you actually don't have the expertise for that. Now, as you're moving forward, you have to make sure that these people are also scaling. Because every year, actually in a startup, every month or every quarter, the whole thing is changing. You need to have different, uh, you, you will have different issues. You need to have different solutions for that. You have to make sure that uh, you have the right answers. And with that, you have to make sure the executives, the team and everybody is scaling that way. So to answer kind of the question, like, yes, everybody is great. But as we're moving forward, we have to make sure that every all of these people are scaling to the next side and continuing to develop and continuing to develop yeah. and continuing to be their best. And how about for you as a CEO? Same thing here. So if I screw up, I'm going to be fired pretty soon. <laughs> how has it been for you, though? I mean, you know, you started off being very hands on building the product. Now, mm -hmm. I imagine you don't spend a lot of time 
do, I'm, doing currently I'm not spending a lot of time <laughs> in programming or with the product. I'm, I, I spend a lot of time now on the GTM side, so go to market side uh, with sales, marketing, and other places. Uh, our CFO is actually now starting at in a couple of days. Uh, so till this point, I was running the finance team as well, and now I would like to go back to the product as well. Hmm. Uh, I really would like to go back and uh, start helping actually be involved in figuring out the platform play and how we're moving the whole thing forward. How big is your executive team now? 10 people altogether, including me. Okay. And how do you feel about, I mean, I think it's absolutely right. You know, you want to find people who are smarter than you, who Mm -hmm. know how to do their jobs better than you actually, you know, absolutely could. How do you feel is the interaction? Because your job as the CEO is to kind of lead the ship, right? Uh-huh. You're setting the vision and making sure people are empowered and have the resources they need to get exactly. their jobs done. Do you ever find that, you know, somebody senior comes, obviously it comes down to the cultural fit or whatever, but I'm kind of trying to ask around, you know, you're everybody's boss at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. And if they know something, do you ever get into disagreements, I guess, about... Of course. Okay, and how do you deal with these? <laughs> so this is kind of how... You can run effectively the meetings. We are we are still learning this how to do do this right. So when you have three people or two people, it's extremely easy. You get a beer, uh, <laughs> you just shout at each other, and at the end of the day, you're going to figure it out. Now, when you have ten people, this is hard because you have ten different ideas in the room. Right. So this is the time when you need to build out governance. You have to figure out who is responsible for what. How can so, so okay? This is the vision. This is what we are doing. But I'm not deep diving into how I'm going to solve this because I'm not the right person to do that. So these are the questions, and you give it to the next team, and that team is going to deep dive into this, figure out enough that everything goes down. With this, what you can build out is you again have the ownership in the teams. They know what they need to execute on, and they're responsible to make sure that they're hitting it on time. Plus, additionally, they're responsible to make sure that we're measuring back and checking back whether they're on the right track or not. Now, to support this, what you need is to have the iterative mindset. Mm -hmm. So this kind of works in a way that, uh, okay, you have a problem. What is the thing that I can do to support that, to actually help to figure out that problem in a week or two? What is the biggest impact that I can work on? And you start executing on it. Now, after a week or two, you stop and you get back the feedback. You figure out, okay, am I on the right track or not? What are the issues? What are the right thing? And you keep on iterating. You keep on getting the feedback and you keep on changing the whole thing. This will mean that you, every week, get into a new track. But at the end, you get to the right solution, which most probably at the beginning was not even new, uh, known. Uh, and after that, you get there in the least amount of time as well. Because if you built out the first thing and you realize it at the end and you have to rebuild and rebuild and rebuild, this will take you years. Now, if you do this in an iterative way and you're constantly changing and improving and moving it to the right direction, you can get there in a couple of weeks. So basically you trust your executives to kind of run the... Yeah. (laughs) First of all, everybody's more clever... Clever -er. Yeah. (laughs) That's a weird word uh, than me. And uh, on the other hand, if I'm not trusting them, I'm micromanaging. Now, yes. if I'm micromanaging and I'm knowing everything, I don't really need to hire people. I can just run a 10-people team where you're shouting at everybody. And here, we want to make sure that we're involving everybody. We have uh, the culture of it. We have the culture ad. We have the right people with the right mindset. And you 
build it out in a diverse way. Therefore, you're moving more and more different type of uh, thinking into the game, which will move you to the best uh, output at the end. Was it hard for you to make that transition? I mean, I guess it's over time, but, you know, as... I wouldn't say so. And the reason is I always was a person who wanted to work with great, talented people. Uh, so it came, I would say, naturally to do this. So no, not really. <laughs> I guess it's a part of your own development cycle. I mean, you said it sounds like you really believe in this, you know, personally also, that you should always be scaling and growing oh, yeah, yeah, yourself. Exactly. So, so, so I, I like this job to be honest uh, the reason why i'm doing this uh, the reason why i decided to stop uh, the university is you can learn a lot more here than anywhere else in a month you can figure out learn about 10x different things that you would be able to do in any, anywhere else uh, which also means that even at this stage you're you're learning constantly on a daily basis so coming back to the feedback first mm -hmm. culture i would imagine that you know, it's it's easy and nice and fun when you're getting good feedback and sharing good feedback. Of course, that's that that that's the first step to move forward. Okay, I'm I'm going to share share with you some positive feedback, and everybody's happy. Yeah, and and I I think you've spoken about this before about how you developed this feedback first culture because mm -hmm. I think it's hard to just say from one day to the next. Okay, now we're feedback first, and then everybody starts you know shitting on each other and you know giving really constructive feedback but it can be hard to to be faced with all of your shortcomings constantly oh the, the first step to build out a feedback culture is, is to actually learn how to give positive feedback to learn that you're not just giving bullshit feedback mm -hmm. uh you actually have to identify uh what was the good traits that person did and what are the different things that they need to be doing more? So focusing on actions, exactly, basically. Exactly. So when you did, uh, so that, that's actually for the constructive, but when you did this, that was the issue. If you would do this that way, that would be actually better, blah, blah, blah. And after that comes, of course, you have to learn how to listen to the whole thing. And the third thing is how to give constructive feedback. Now, this is the hardest because everybody can be uh, just doing this to, to hurt the other person. That's one side. The other side is you don't really want to hurt the other person. Therefore, you don't give any constructive feedback. Mm -hmm. uh, so you have to kind of train people that this is normal. Everything is okay. Uh, the fail-fast culture uh, that we also built out is kind of coming with the iterative side. So you can't really fail. You need to iterate, you need to learn, you need to test out, you need to try out. And by iterating, you're going to be constantly failing, which is good. If you fail, this means that you learn something new and you can just get this information and move it to the next iteration. Now, the problem happens when you do the same thing again and again and again, and you're failing again and again and again and again the same way. Now, this is actually stupidity, so that's, that's, that's something different. Uh, but with this constructive feedback, you have to learn that, okay, failure is good. So when you did all of this stuff, then if you would do this differently, that would be better, and uh, people start using this. And after that, the, the last thing that I learned is actually people work better with positive feedback, but you can actually change it a bit. So not just tell them what they did amazingly, but start focusing on what was the right things that they did and you would like to see more. Mm. And this actually has a way better, they, they can perceive it a way better. And if you do like three to one or four to one with the with the positive and the constructive, that's kind of the ideal setup. Mm, okay. 
So there's kind of guidelines or you have protocols uh, about how I to would do say you, you kind of learn it by doing it and you kind of have a feeling like what is the best thing working for you. So, okay, the typical company has this, you know, once a year employee mm -hmm. review, you know, blah, blah, blah. How does this feedback first culture really look like practically for Bitrise? So the one side, you have to make sure that the feedback is happening in the daily basis. We still have to learn a lot more, but I'm actually seeing the teams doing this way better than before. So we are, we are getting there. Do you prompt them somehow or, or is it just the Constantly, expectation? So you ask this after the meeting, when you have an all hands, you ask for feedback. Uh, and you simply just uh, also positively acknowledge when somebody did the right thing. Now you have the one-on-ones. We most of the time have weekly one-on-ones. The one-on-one is the meeting for the direct report that the direct report actually owns and can talk about all the different things. That that's also a good place to receive the feedback and ask for feedback. And we have uh, 360s every quarter where we actually, uh, with face, talk about the feedback from the manager, from the direct report, from your peers, uh, and you receive all of these different feedbacks from multiple people. Now, if you do this right, the 360 is actually not the place where you hear about this the first time. Mm -hmm. The 360 is actually a look back for the last three months, which, which kind of just summarizes you that, okay, we discussed these different things, these are the different stuff, and you, you, you can actually check. because it's, So the whole startup world is moving extremely fast. So when you look back for three months and you realize what are the different things that you actually achieved at that time, how you... What are the differences that you learned, how you scaled? That's actually really helpful to just summarize it for yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's a place where you can kind of see the bigger trends. Like, exactly. Are we going, are we improving uh, for on your, average? For, or? for your personal self, yes. Yeah. Was there, when you kind of made this transition to feedback first, mm -hmm. did you lose any people? Was this no. a hard shift or it was kind of already part of the culture that people were high achievers and wanted to get to the next level and could accept this? We always hired builders. We always hired people who wanted to have impact. Uh, we always asked for feedback, to be honest. So, so from the beginning, we were not really building out a feedback culture. But on the other hand, we knowingly. Uh, on the other hand, we somehow accidentally started doing the same thing. So it was not a problem. The problem was more like when we started creating the formal processes around it and to make sure everybody kind of understands why it's needed, how we're doing this the best way, what is actually working for Bitrise and for the people at Bitrise. So that was more like the harder part. Hmm. And are there any other kind of formal processes? You talked about the 360s every quarter and the weekly one-on-ones, but do you do like surveys or? Oh, right? yeah, yeah. So we have engagement surveys, we have pool surveys. We are trying to do this to make sure that we, we are getting a lot of uh, feedback from the people. Uh, I'm doing a monthly CEO one-on-one, -on -one, uh, which is for onboarding everybody. That's where they connect. That's where they introduce themselves to each other. We actually record the whole thing, and they can ask anything about uh, me, the company, or whatever they have in their mind. And that's we, for everybody who was hired that exactly. month? Exactly. Okay, so you do a once a month kind of onboarding. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, plus, of course, the team is doing the whole onboarding process yeah. and, 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 and all of this stuff. Plus, we have a listening forum. Now, the listening forum is really interesting it, w with this size. So at this size, I kind of knew about all the issues coming from the managers uh, or at max from the middle management. But I have zero idea what's really happening at the IC level. 
So what we are doing there, that's actually coming from the YC Gross program, what we are doing there is we are creating bi-weekly events where we are inviting six, seven people from different uh, groups and we ask them, okay, what is the best thing that's happening at Bitrise and what is the worst thing that, uh, that's happening and we need to improve on? Mm. And you listen to uh, to basically the, the patterns and you try to identify and, and figure out, okay, what is the real issue? And after that, you try uh, go out and try to solve the whole thing. Cool. Are there any companies that because it sounds like you've thought a lot about culture and I know feedback first is a big mm-hmm. part of it, but are there other, any other companies that inspire you with their culture or? I would say multiple ones. Uh, I don't really track companies. I don't really have ideal ones that I would like to rebuild. Uh, the culture for, for each of the companies actually their own and you can't really redo the whole thing. It's not right. going to be the same thing. So everybody's talking about Netflix culture. Right. <laughs> it has really great things. It has really bad things, but it's actually working for Netflix. You can't re-implement the whole thing and uh, just expect that it's going to be happening the same way. So what you can do is actually just learn about this, do the networking, figure out who is doing what, and just get all of this together, like what you like, and start Mm -hmm. building it out. Culture in the beginning is actually how the founders are working, and that's going to be your company either way. If you start hiring people all around the place, that's again culture. It's going to shift, but by hiring people, you're going to shift your culture. So you have to make sure you identify this one. And from the beginning, just start thinking about this, how we are working, why are we going to win, what are the different things that we like about being here, and just focus on those ones. So so when we created, my, my goal was to make sure that whenever I'm coming into the company, I have a smile on my face. So, so if I don't have that, I'm going to be the first person leaving. But this also meant that uh, we are building out a family-like culture. And uh, I, I do believe that everybody or or most of us actually love being here because it's not just transactional. We are here to do the best job. We are here to have the biggest impact, but also we are here to make sure that we're working at the best place together. That's actually a really interesting point because I've, I heard you tell this story too about just the way the three of you work as Mm -hmm. co-founders. I think that's, yeah, it it did start from the beginning that Mm -hmm. way where you have you had different areas of focus and expertise and could respect each other and kind of complement each other and work mm-hmm. well as a team. So I'm not surprised you've been able <laughs> to scale that. But yeah, maybe you can introduce your co-founders and kind of how, how you started out, what you handled and kind of what you're doing today. Sure. So so Victor, uh, he was, uh, we, we started working together back at high school, 3D game engines, coding we actually having land parties and then trying to make your own games uh, a bit of a land parties but mostly coding so that, that, that again weird kids uh and we started working together on uh, ios apps we created our own agency and daniel actually started working with us as a freelancer designer and after that, when he finished university, we hired him uh, to the agency, and pretty soon we created Bitrise, and he joined Bitrise there. Now, he was actually doing all the public speaking. And the reason was that, especially at the beginning, I was not really great at public speaking. I mean, not great kind of means that I forgot my name. <laughs> uh, so Daniel was doing the whole, th- the whole thing. Uh, we uh, went together to the conferences, and we started putting together everything, started scaling together. And and luckily till this point, 
the three of us still has the same bonding. We still we still go out every week to grab a bunch of beers, and we are working together. And and, and luckily, this part actually uh, remained. Hmm. Um, Bitrise is also transitioning to a remote-first company. Exactly. <laughs> you have a U.S. office, or at least people in the U.S. But yeah, maybe you could speak to that. Um, and I'm sure the pandemic had a big uh, influence there. But um, yeah, how how has it been to transition to remote first? So, uh, of course, the pandemic helped us through the whole thing, which is a pretty weird thing to say. Uh, so before that, I was really office first. I mean... This is why we built out the whole thing and spent a lot of money on it. You have to go in, we have to work together, all of this. And I still believe that uh, going into the office and mingling together, grabbing the coffee, it helps because it's not transactional. And now the remote mindset or the remote first thing actually means that you're doing a lot of Zoom calls, Mm -hmm. which is transactional. It's not really helping you, the bonding side. On the other hand, uh, you have to realize that this is the way forward. Uh, So now we have offices in San Francisco, Boston, London, uh, in the Netherlands, France, Germany. We're just opening one up in Spain, Uh, Hungary, of course, and we'll be opening one up in Japan. So this basically means that in this era, you kind of have the option to find the right people with the right experience wherever they are. So that's why you need to be switching into this. And you have to make sure you're supporting them to do their best job so they can they can work with their teams, they can work in a remote environment, they can do asynchronous communication. And we did a survey on that side as well, like, okay, who really would like to go back to the office and who really would like to be staying home? Uh, it turned out that people would like to still have the mingling part. Mm-hmm. They still need to... We are people, right? So you have to have the connections. But on the other hand, you don't really want to spend five days in right. the office. So we kind of do a hybrid setup. And mm-hmm. we still have to figure out what is the best way. But I do believe the ownership here again helps, like to give a benefit for everybody to figure out with the people you're around with what is the best way. You go to a co-working space, you go to a hotel room to get a big conference room, you go to a coffee shop. So whatever actually works for you. And you kind of have now the mingling part and you have the bonding and that helps. But now we're also supporting to build out the whole environment for yourself at home to make sure that you have everything to do the best job for you. And what about how do you split your time between these all these offices? I mean, do you feel like your presence is required physically? You know, I guess when you set up a new place, maybe, but... I hate traveling, for sure. (laughs) I mean, I I loved traveling, but when you're doing this every month, like two, three times, you start hating it, which is, again, a weird say. I mean, yes, traveling is great, and it's really good that you can do that. But so during the pandemic, of course, everything in Budapest and Hungary. Uh, Before the pandemic, I actually started quarterly trips. So I go to Boston, go to San Francisco, go to London, and go back to Budapest. I would like to keep doing this. First of so all, kind of a circuit, one e- big trip every exactly. quarter. Exactly. Okay. And this this actually helps to connect the, the the names to the faces. It helps to actually be there and feel the struggle if they have any. So. When we start before the pandemic, most of the people, still most of the people is in Hungary in an office. And everybody has like London, San Francisco or Boston. Now, when you 
talk about something, when you share something, everybody understands it in Hungary, everybody, everything is good. And you don't really understand what's the problem with SF, like, okay, what the heck is happening on that side? And once you go there, you start realizing, oh, shit. So these are the different things why it's really hard for them uh, because we did not tell it correctly because when you go to the kitchen in Budapest, you're talking about the whole thing, talking about impact, but you can't do the same thing in SAF. So so traveling around, I believe, helps a lot. And I kind of encourage all the all the managers to, to make sure that they're visiting their teams, they're talking with them, they're understanding the issues. So the managers aren't always in the same place as their teams. Manager-wise, we started hiring more and more people uh, from the U.S. We actually have one, two, three, three in U.S., one U.K., one Netherlands, one Spain, and uh, the rest is Hungary. And this, this is not your executive team. This is like the middle. The executive team, yeah. Okay, but you have a, also a pretty strong middle management. Middle layer. management layer, kind of the same thing. So now we are hiring from all of these places, and again the same thing here. Like, okay, where you have the best SaaS experience, where you can find the people with the right culture fit and culture add, and how can you make sure that. Uh, the manager that you have the best manager so when you have a team and you expect that they have this feedback culture the impact driven uh, thinking uh, learn to fail all of this you have to make sure that you have a great manager that supports it and the reason here the manager so if the team is doing a great job that's the managers the, the manager is doing a great job mm-hmm. now if the team is failing Actually, the manager is failing. And the reason is the manager actually hired the people. Mm -hmm. The manager keeps the people there. The manager trains the people, gives the feedback, does all of the stuff, and kind of checks what the team is working on. If... If the team is failing, the manager have to realize it and start fixing. So that's why it's really necessary to find the right people uh, for the right teams. Tell us the story of when Ashton Kutcher knocked on your office door. He did not. He did not. He okay. did not knock. You know what I'm trying to get. To <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so it actually happened in a way that uh, I received a tweet uh, from Ashton, and I'm not really using Twitter. So, what was he tweeting you about? Oh, he just wanted to meet up. That was kind of the tweet, and uh, so so I'm not really using Twitter. Uh, so I just received an email notification in Gmail, which basically said that. Uh, his handler and okay would you like to meet up and I'm like okay spam like fuck it <laughs> after just reading back like Daniel come in is, is, is it him yeah it's him oh, okay so I responded back and it turned out that uh, when uh, his wife was actually doing here uh, the movie he was talking with a bunch of people like okay who you would like uh, who do you believe i need to meet up with mm. or who do you feel you wanted to invest but you couldn't and we turned out uh, as one of the answers so he wanted to meet up he came into the office actually he's extremely technical uh, mm. he got the whole thing from the get go uh, it was really great to actually just go through what we're building, how we're building the whole thing. And uh, and at the end, he decided to invest. Getting him out of the office was problematic. Uh, I had Stop distracting all of our people. <laughs> uh, no, so that one was actually good. Uh, in the, our office was, was really great. Uh, the only thing I did, like, ask him at the end, like, okay, you kind of expect this question. Everybody would like to take a picture. Can we do this? Uh, yes, sure. Okay. So that that, that, that <laughs> happened. But after that, when we walked out from our office, now everybody was at the reception. Because they'd heard about They heard about he's his here and they wanted to take picture. And also that was weird. Uh, I don't <laughs> want to be in his place, to be honest. Because 
What's his interest in Hungary or connection to Hungary aside from uh, doing I, movies here? But he was involved in... I'm not sure whether it's public or not, but there was one startup that's actually, I'm, I'm pretty sure, involved uh, in. But but for this one, I believe it was more like just the recording for uh, for the movie. So he happened to be in town. Yeah, yeah exactly. And... He, was, he was just traveling with her. And has an interest in the startup space and does investments. So he is constantly investing and trying to find the best startups to invest into. And wherever he goes, he just tries to figure out, okay, what is, or at least I do believe, what is the best thing to, to actually start investing, make sure that this is the right thing and how can I support the whole stuff moving forward. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience? Any other advice for aspiring founders? Uh, Advice-wise, uh, actually just... One thing, so if you're starting, a, if you would like to start a startup, please, first of all, go ahead with the whole thing. Uh, we need more. Uh, the thing that you need to learn is how to gather the feedback. You have to make sure that you understand that your idea is great, but most probably you're not going to win with that one. You have to make sure that you're talking with target customers. You have to figure out who do you want to sell it to get the feedback, iterate on the product and constantly do this. Make sure that you get into a position where you can get uh, some money out of it uh, just for validation. And after that, keep on doing the whole thing. I mean, it's uh, most of the people are failing because, first of all, they're not talking with the customers, they're not iterating, but additionally, they just get fed up with the failure. Oh, okay, I tried it once, I tried it twice, and that's it. You have to constantly fail. You have to fail a hundred different times till you're able to figure out what is the right path moving forward. It's hard, but uh, if you actually like this, I do believe it's a really good journey to go through. So you need a thick skin yes. and don't give up. Yes, uh, that, that actually helps a lot. Are you still talking to customers on yes. a regular basis? Yes, uh, I would like to do more, to be honest, but I'm still hopping into calls. Now, I'm not doing support tickets, uh, but most probably I'll go back and do a couple. Uh, it's actually great because you can learn the exact pain points and you can figure out what is the best thing to, to build to support them. So you're still doing it even when you have 200 people uh, 160. Now? 160, and how many customers? A uh, couple of thousands, let's say this way. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Paul Graham famously said this, until you get your first thousand customers, the only things you should be doing are writing code and talking to customers. Exactly, exactly. So. It also depends on the customer size for sure, but, uh, but yeah. that's true. <laughs> awesome. Well, this was super great. Thank you so much, Barnabash, for being here. And um, congratulations on everything you've, you've done so far and excited to keep watching your growth and progress. Thank you, and thank you for having me here. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when we release new episodes. Tune in next time as we continue to deep dive and uncover more hidden gems in the Untold Stories podcast. Check out our show notes for more resources about the topics we discuss and anything we mentioned during the podcast. Let us know what was your key takeaway from today's episode. And if you found this content useful, please feel free to share it with anyone else you think would benefit from it. Bye.